for anybody that's in business, personal, cultural shifts, you know, we obviously have a lot of divide in, in the U.S. and around the world right now, just culturally. And, you know, race is, 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 is something that's brought up a lot. And we had this conversation off, off topic. And a lot of what I see after traveling a lot was that we're majorly culturalists. And we just don't have the ability to understand or, or the desire to say, you know what, um, you do things differently because you were brought up a different way. And I think that we use, uh, in a sense, in a very ignorant, stupid way, we use either race, color, whatever that is, to immediately kind of shift our brains maybe sometimes. And ultimately, if you just take a few minutes just to ask somebody, what is it about your culture that I don't understand? I think that the majority of us would have this bridge of empathy, but also just adventure. The Move Entrepreneur Evolved Podcast. Get on it. All right, here we are back with an upper episode of Moved Entrepreneur Evolved. And I've got John Nutt here with Full Metal Dojo and the Flight Circus. <laughs> the oh, yeah. ultimate promoter from Asia, now I'm into the USA. And this is one that I've been excited to bring on for all of you guys, for the pure fact, this charismatic leader here is someone that you can follow and see so many things. John Nutt, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Again, I'm a very positive individual. So I'm, I'm fantastic. I, I'm in a good headspace, in a good place, mentally, physically, doing just fine. So I have no complaints. So I got to do this and I got to start this off right because I don't think that I would, uh, I would probably look back and say it, but I'm going to go ahead and try this. All right. You tell me how I do. Tell me how yep. I do. You ready for it? Oh, hey there, John Nutt. Full, 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 full metal dojo. Full, full, full metal dojo. There it is, brother. Yeah, man. You, you, get, you nailed it. You nailed so, it. Ultimately, there's a great story about that, and we'll probably jump into that in a minute. But ultimately, you know, that is considered a great way of marketing, which is your consistency of yeah. utilizing your brand, utilizing what you do, and, and putting yourself on the map. But I want to pull things back a little bit. Um, we are going to go into your travel experiences, cultural experiences and then how we get into business. But I think one thing I, I thought I'd go back to, um, one thing in social media is that most of us really don't start this whole Facebook storyline until about 2008. Um, yeah. You know, that's when kind of things broke in there. But my, maybe we can go back a little bit. Um, you have a entertaining personality, but because Facebook only takes us so back and you have been putting yourself on Facebook ever since. Take me back a little bit further. What, what was it that got you to be an entrepreneur, entertainer, uh, facilitator of people? Where did this start? Maybe in your youth? Uh, well, again, I've always been like the odd duck. Are you with me? I've been the black sheep. I've been that guy. Uh, I never really went, you know, my parents wanted me to obviously graduate from college. And I went from a, to a very good college, Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut, one of the small Ivies, you know what I mean? And I did not graduate. I'm the guy that like left. And I went out to LA and you spent some time there. And I did some USC film school for a little while. And I remember one of my professors were like, you know, if you're looking to be a producer, you need to produce. You need to find people that are willing to give their, their monetary support towards whatever project you want. And um, that was the same time that I started traveling quite a bit. I was working for a bunch of security companies. This is post 9-11. So security was doing very well. I was working clubs, but I was also working for IMS, Israeli military services. Aaron Cohen, who has like some good books and he's still doing his things. He's gotten into Hollywood. And I mean, I had a couple big ones, man. I mean, um, my first trip to Thailand was 2004, mm. pre-tsunami. Um, and if it wasn't for the tsunami, I wouldn't have gone back. I mean, I was on CoPP until the 24th, um, left to come back here for Christmas because I didn't want to be a bad son to my mother. And uh, the tsunami obviously happened on the 26th. So I missed it by two days. And when it happened, I remember going back to work in security gigs. And it was like, 
I'm going to raise money and I'm going to work for the high VP and do a little nonprofit work to go rebuild the island of Kobe P. And uh, where, you know, obviously Leonardo DiCaprio did the beach and, and all those fun times. And when that, that kind of started everything, I knew I was going to be trying to live abroad. If you've ever been to Thailand or if you've ever tried to live abroad, you don't have, because you are an immigrant, whether you call yourself an expat or not, you are an immigrant, um, you don't have the functionality of getting the jobs that you normally would just by being in America. So I can't go work at a Walmart. I can't go work at a 7-Eleven. I can't go work as a bartender because your work permit only allows you uh, a certain amount of opportunities, right? Mm. So you can't get the regular jobs that you would fall back on in your own country. You can't be a taxi driver or an Uber driver nowadays. So shuttling and around- that's because those licenses, especially in taxi and these, they were only given out to the ties because it was almost like, I think that ultimately those jobs, especially in countries, it's like be a police officer or be a taxi driver. <laughs> Of course. And he, here it works the same. If you, if you come from Mexico and, and you might be the fittest Mexican that there is, you might be able to speak both languages, but you can't get a job as a fireman. You know what I mean? You, you, you can't. So um, it's the same thing for me over there. So you had to maneuver your way around and learn the waters and adjust and you can open businesses over there. And by opening up a business that once again, sets you on your entrepreneurial way. You know what I mean? And I had multiple businesses. I had a gym. I had a, a bar slash guest house. And then I worked with Dare Fight Sports being the, the leading and the like kind of original um, foreign based, excuse me, sorry about that. Okay. Um, I'm coming back, right? There you go. Foreigner owned um, first MMA organization, you know, 2010. Uh, first ones to actually be putting fights in a cage. Um, the UFC was still in the Zufa area. Um, so everybody kind of had seen pride get bought for like $53 million and they kind of wanted out of uh, going after that. So there was like, you know, ECW in Africa, which is still going on. Bellator was just getting in the mix. You know what I mean? There was no PFL. There was no world series of fighting, which it well, was. And, and I think that as that journey goes along, I guess one of the things that would be interesting to elaborate is that did you find yourself always in some kind of combat uh, getting pulled into any kind of combat sports i mean was well, that I'm, something that you found early on and early on did i mean because you followed the i mean being you know a decent sized guy i mean being a bouncer was probably or security was something that was already there but even before that did you find when did when were those years uh, that you started my, seeing my, my mother i was a, i was a head boy you know um, I'm quick. So uh, my mother put me into Taekwondo when I was six. My mm -hmm. brother was 10. He's four years older than me. Um, I did Taekwondo until it wasn't cool anymore when you got to high school and, and the girls really weren't that into that. That's, you know, that's like when I started playing football, wrestling, and lacrosse. And um, wrestling gave me the background in 93. The UFC obviously started with Hoyce Gracie doing that. Um, so I got into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu when I went to college, learned from of Muay Thai when I went to LA, um, and then people that I bounced with and, and did martial arts with would go over and fight in Pride in, in Japan and would go over to Thailand and, and cut weight and do their training over there. So I knew of camps, and when I went over to Thailand originally in 2004, I went over there to go to Sit Yod Tong in Pattaya and go down to a Patong boxing gym in in obviously Patong Phuket and yeah I mean martial arts I don't like to again I'm like most entrepreneurs I don't like to put myself into just one category or one box but I am a lifelong martial artist mm -hmm. I study the five families of you know I'm a Wu-Tang Wu -Tang guy I know how to Shaolin salute you know what I mean my horse stance is just dandy you know <laughs> so uh yeah man so I've been you know I've been doing it all and um Marshall's definitely showed me the path and showed me the ways of, of getting into certain things. And again, I'm a grinder and I'm that that's the way that I've been flowing, you know, and, and um, since 2010. Yeah. I mean, like, it's funny because obviously social media has become like the number one marketing tool, but I'm still against, I'm still against it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a, I'm a super hypocrite uh, admitted 
hypocrite, admitted oxymoron, jumbo shrimp, if you will. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I never did. What was the first one? I never did the, uh, come on, what was the first one that everybody liked? Not, not Facebook, MySpace. Oh, MySpace. I never did MySpace. Uh, Facebook was my first one, and I knew how it was going to be used, so I've never used it on a personal note. I've always used it to comedy, combat sports. Those are the two that I use it for. But like you can see on my Facebook, I don't have any categories. I didn't fill out any of the CV, that, that, uh, the, the resume that Facebook wants you to go with. I've done it for other people because I've run other people's social medias. So, I mean, I think it's very easy because I can, I have that pathway in my brain that I can, can look at things that way. Um, I, manners were a thing that were never brought to the internet. You know, uh, I think that, I think that you're right. I mean, I think it's, but I think that also that's probably, and you know, you're talking about combat sports. I always say, you know, that you get popped in the mouth one time in your life in manners of what you're saying, there's something that just kind of keeps your mouth shut. And unless you're somebody that's basically has the ability to say, when I see you, I'm going to pop you in the mouth, or yeah. I know that I can get popped in the mouth. So you, so ultimately when, when you go, you, you show up into Phuket. And I think that your story has a lot to do with exploration, right? It has to do with, yeah. Hey, what is over there? Why is it that I'm going over there? And well, then I think I, also, I have a good, I I have a good one for you. Yeah. I have a good one for you. I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever talked about this, but I also know the moment that like, I was like, Oh no, fuck this shit. I'm out of here. Um, in 2005, I was coming back in again, November, December of 2005. I was coming back from doing nine months over in Thailand. I was living on Kobe P small Island, no cars, right? No cars. And in 2005, if you weren't driving an Escalade in, in uh, LA, who were you? You know, that was, that was the time where the SUVs blew up. Most of my friends were young, hip Hollywood at the time. So I was good friends with Garrett Hedlund. He was in Tron. He was in Friday Night Lights at the time. Um, you know, he was, he was with Paris Hilton. He was with Lindsay Lohan. He, he, you know, he was with Kirsten Dunst. I think he's met, married to one of the Emmas. I don't know which one, but so you never had a woman Robert. problem. Never had a piece. no, I'm, and I've never had a woman problem. And I, I always did well on that. And you know, I was boys with DJ Catrona. I was boys with a lot of hip young Hollywood, um, which which, you know, which falls in the line. Uh, and even at the time, there were so many of those guys that even followed fighting and martial arts and of course the underground I, conversation. DJ is still like best friends with Wilbur Valderrama, and that mm. '70s show was like still kicking off the, at that that time and i'll never forget they picked me up from the airport in the in the old escalade and they drove me up to the xbox 360 release party and garrett's playing xbox 360 next to snoop dog right and man there were four of us that went up and the, the three are like kind of big time actors and still still doing it and there was me and i remember the my my boy DJ was like, go grab the drinks and come back. And I went over because I'm, a, you know, because we're friends, right? Wasn't like, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I wasn't anybody's bitch or anything like that. But this also has to do with it because the guys were like, who are you with? And I was like, I'm with Garrett and them. And he was like, oh, you're with Garrett and them? Like, uh, like so, who, like, who are you? What do you do? And I was like, I'm John. Just got off the plane from Thailand. They wanted to bring me here. And, they, and the dude goes, oh, so you're Turtle. And uh entourage was just it was in the first season of entourage and yeah. i hadn't seen it and i had no idea what he was talking about and a few days later i watched the first episode and i was like oh shit he's calling me the lackey uh -huh. I, I was turtle i was the entourage guy and uh -huh. i remember being like i'm not the entourage guy i'm the quarterback <laughs> i'm the quarterback you know I mean? mofo <laughs> yeah like no you know like and i remember being like uh you know I remember asking for girls numbers in LA and having them be like, well, what kind of car you drive? Cause that was the thing. There wasn't any like Tinder or any of those type of, uh, you know, sites. And you met people at the bar, you met people face to face and I had to get the gab. So I was always fine. But I remember girls being like, you know, what, what area code do you live in? You know, again, like if you, if you know LA, which you do, you need to have a three one Oh area code. Right. If you say you're from like the eight, eight one eight, 
you're in the valley, son. You're I in the valley. You know what I mean? I ain't hanging out with people from the valley. And during those, and during those times, it wasn't like, I'm just going to change my number. It was like, yeah, <laughs> no, you couldn't get on that. So I remember being like, I'm, I just came from an island with no cars, and now I'm in Escaladeville, and I just don't want to be in Escaladeville. I'd rather, like, also, as you know, when you get over to Thailand and you're a big strapping man, dime a dozen, them ladies love us. You know what I mean? So I mean, what what are what are you six seven? What are you? I'm six four. Yeah. Six. Uh, well, six, I mean, when you stand six, next four, to me, <laughs> yeah. You know, but yeah, I'm a defensive end. You know, so uh, yeah. Again, like that, that that comes into play a lot with the keyboard warriors these days. I love meeting people that are like, "Yo, I'll beat your ass." I'm like, "You're one fifty five. You will not." I apologize. You're the size of my leg. You know what I mean? Um, and, and you are, you know, it's, 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 uh, it, it is definitely, you know, we get into these keyboard warriors and we have a lot of people that do that. And I, I do say this and ultimately I always tell people, I better close this thing out because we're going to get tapped a bunch of times. So let's see, close this little thing. It, it, this, uh, we didn't have messenger back then in a way that we have it here, but, uh, if I don't shut it off, it'll bing us the whole time. Oh shoot, I'm gonna have to, dude, I had to switch to gallery mode. So basically it's gonna show me on top. I let you be quarterback from the beginning. Now I'm gonna go ahead and jump on in and I'm gonna have to give you some plays. So anyways, what I was gonna say is, so I remember, and it's interesting just to show you kind of the power of the internet and kind of going into kind of pulling you back because I think that this story of the transition is like so important on your story. and. Uh, I landed, I think, in Thailand in 2011, I think, uh, I don't, maybe even a little later. Uh, but ultimately, that was where everything kind of started kicking off. And that was where I ended yep. up landing it was a place called Tiger Muay Thai. And for anybody that's on here, a lot of my background was the same thing as yours, basically started Kung Fu and then transitioned over to Muay Thai because at that point I was really tired of knocking knees with everybody that you can go and kick some kind of roundhouse and you just bust your knees up. And I'll never forget that very first time and then getting your ass chewed. But ultimately I remember kind of landing through there and kind of landing in Thailand, going through that whole process. Now you had already been there for a while, but I had already, I picked up social media and I remember this, so distinct, distinctly, I knew that this was the transition. I knew a couple of times of transitions back in the day of information on the internet, but where the biggest move I found in as far as like, this is going global was I landed in Thailand. I landed in uh, Tiger Muay Thai. And as I get into Tiger Muay Thai, I'm looking all over and the Thais, these Thai fighters, I mean, they're sharing computers they don't have anything. And I, I don't know if you remember this distinctly, but it's like they're sitting around the computer and they're getting people from around the world going, oh, my God, this is where the movie Bloodsport and Kickboxer was made. This oh, yeah. is Tom Poe. This is, you know, this is where it was actually created. And you're seeing them become like little stars. And yes. I remember distinctly there was a fight beatdown, which I'm sure that you could talk. Did, were you ever um, were you ever a uh, commentator on? Yeah, football? I was a commentator for the barbecue beatdown. So the barbecue beatdown, and a barbecue beatdown comes down. You and I had never met, nothing like that. And you came up to me like, "What's up, Starbucks?" And you freaking gave it. And I'm like, "How the did that? How did that even happen?" And so just yeah. that moment of going there was the will elliott's there were the robin merrill's there were the danny bocce's as we know mm -hmm. there and you were you were training with tit mm -hmm. who was my trainer in like 2007 2008 so i knew who you were through the fb and again you were doing real well on that video stuff and i remember being like i know who that dude is without even knowing who he is what's up starbucks I'll never, it was like, what's up? Star? And I remember here comes this dude. I, th I guess I thought you were six, seven. Cause you know, you don't wear shoes in Thailand. So I'm standing, I'm just like, dude, this dude is coming up and he's big and he's happy. I, I just remember going, this guy's happy. 
And then from then we just kind of connected and we kind of stayed friends. But I think that um, kind of going back just a little bit on, let's talk a little bit as far as like business in a sense of the promotion of fighting, because that's where I think when you did the barbecue beat down, was that kind of a trigger for you of, wait a minute, there's something going on in the ability to promote fights, bring people together. And in a way it was, I mean, at the time, I think barbecue beatdowns were like, hey, this is the non-violent way of doing it, <laughs> right? but still people can do. And was that one of those moments? Because you hadn't done anything in the fight game to that, had you? The barbecue right. beatdown was, well, so I was commentating and doing the MC work at Patong Stadium on Monday, Thursdays, and Saturday nights. And I was also doing the stadium work out on Kopi P on like Wednesdays and Fridays. and the barbecue beatdown, what I learned from that was that they actually were more profitable through their alcohol sales, food and mm -hmm. beverage sales. And ticket sales have always been the, for the tourists, right? The ties don't pay for tickets. So the beatdowns did very, very well. And I was friends with Will Elliott, who was the general manager at the time. And I was learning about the money that they were making. And they were making more than the Tong Stadium, things of that nature. Now, I always came from like, I'd help parties. You know what I mean? I work clubs. So I think a lot of promoters, a lot of promoters in the fight space think that they're going to do a product and it's going to compete right away with the UFC if they get fighters that are just as good. But that's not actually how it works. Mm -hmm. If you break down the promotional level, how do you make money? How do you make returns on your investment? Where, do you, where does the capital come from? Ticket sales, food and beverage, merch, sponsorship deals broadcast deals, pay-per-view sales if you're, if you're big enough, you know what I mean? So like I knew already from owning bars and doing that type of thing that you, you needed to, once again, like you need to get people in, you need to get people saucy, you need to get them drinking, you need to upsell alcohol, you need to upsell tickets, you need to give away certain amount to be able to gain a certain amount. And I think a lot of people that are going into there, like uh, another great example is Everybody always thinks that the camps are going to support you. Fighters don't have money, right? So like all these people would run a promotion. They'd be like, yo, I'm going to get all the people from Phuket Top Team. I'm going to get all the people from Dragon. I'm going to get all the people from them. But those people don't show. The people that show up are the people that have disposable income. The tourists. The ones that, once again, make money that are in their, in their 40s. And I was just social enough that I would have my own following. My following would bring more people than... You know, when I would do the emceeing at, at, at Tiger, Will would pay me well, because if you're paying me 15,000 baht, which isn't that much, 500 bucks, you know what I mean? You're paying me 15,000 baht, but tickets are a thousand baht. Is he bringing 15 people? Yeah, I'm bringing 30 people. I'm selling tables, right? So I made it. I made and it you, and they really became something. I mean, those barbecue beatdowns. I was there, some, I don't know, I was probably like at five or something like that, but ultimately, maybe even four or something, but ultimately those barbecue beatdowns became your opportunity to kind of fight for yourself in a way without getting killed. You know, you could actually fight yeah. Muay Thai or fight MMA, but you'd have to wear pads. But ultimately what it did, I think for the promotion when you were even there and you were doing it, is that it made people see what was possible until they decided to do something, you know, which you and I both did, which would go and fight in actual real shit, you know, Babies, really yes. taking shin on shin. So when right. you, when you were running, when you were basically doing those, you were, you were also, I think, noticing, and this will take us into our next conversations. You were also noticing I'm, and maybe you can share with me if this is right, but you were also noticing that there's a, uh, that there's an eye for people that want to see something that's different. You know, yes. that was basically what it was. You know, people still watch these guys in pads as amateurs go at it. Dude, I can't tell you how many people were drunk. Yeah, during those, of course. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the number one stadiums, one of the number one moneymakers is Ray Yebar on Kobe P. And all that is is drunk people getting in the ring to fight for, for alcohol, right? The bucket. The guy, the guy holds the sign up that says fight for buckets. Mm -hmm. People get in there and throw on the shin pads, the headgear, and, and the 12 ounces. 
and they go at it. And a lot of that has gone viral over the last couple of years. And they're all fake, not fake fights, but they're not real fights. It's two drunk dudes getting in there and wailing on each other. But that upsells the alcohol and that upsells the, the, what, what people are actually making a, a revenue on. And you're totally correct. I mean, one of the things that you obviously know about me is I'm dyslexic as all hell, can barely read, but I'm an auditory learner. So I picked up the language quite well. Most foreigners try to pick up the language, but can't. So when I'm singing the national anthem and I'm singing Secloso songs, a lot of foreigners are like drawn to me because it's like that dude's doing that. Like, how long has he been here? That's crazy. Why has he been here that long? And I think like, whereas the scorecard over here is money and power. If you're like an expat, a lot of the scorecard of life is like just staying over there and surviving, having your, your business abroad do well so that you can function so that you can live the dream abroad. Because also, you, as you know, America is on a very nine to five, five days a week schedule. And most Americans don't want to live that. They want to live the two day a week schedule, the four hour work week, Timothy Ferris. You know what I mean? So I was one of the cats that was kind of original. Like, you know, people were calling me the Duke of the expats in 2010. You're Ben Starks of the world and stuff like that. Because I was the guy that, was showing people who get town. I was the guy showing people where to go that wasn't the tourist attraction. I was taking you to the good restaurants. I was taking you to the good nightclubs. I was taking you to the, to the, the places to meet real girls, not bar girls, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, and that all came from me learning Thai. And Pupasa Thai Dai in a cup. Mata Lai, Ting Ting in a cup. You know, Pupasa Thai Chat Mat. So like, I can speak clear, very clearly towards them. And you don't have many big falang that can sing the way that I can sing. Mm. So, uh, you know, I have done the whole Thailand's Got Talent. I have been on their television. I have done some movies for them. So um, there's a handful of us. It's a ve- like, I personally, right now during the pandemic, if you were in your 20s and you wanted to have a very adventurous life and write a book and be Anthony Bourdain, bro move abroad now mm-hmm. if, if you went over there now in your 20s and you learned to speak thai believe you me there aren't, aren't going to be any americans over there for a long time as we've been speaking about off off the record button 80 percent of americans don't have their passport to travel internationally because we all stay inside our own bubble so if you go over there as an american they're not against us they like us and if you can show a little love to their culture get a little bit of a gift of gab in their, in their native tongue. Rockstar, bro. You're and I think star. that that was one thing that, you know, I think that um, I also took on was basically like learn a little bit. I, I said I'd more, at least learn five new words a week as I was there. And it was if for anybody that's ever, business, personal, cultural shifts. You know, we obviously have a lot of divide in, in the U.S. and around the world right now, just culturally. And you know, race is, is 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 something that's brought up a lot. And we had this conversation off off topic. And a lot of what I see after traveling a lot was that we're majorly culturalist, and we just don't have the ability to understand or or the desire to say, you know what, um, you do things differently because you were brought up a different way. And I think that we use, uh, in a sense, in a very ignorant, stupid way, we use either race, color, whatever that is, to immediately kind of shift our brains maybe sometimes. And ultimately, if you just take a few minutes just to ask somebody, what is it about your culture that I don't understand? I think that the majority of us would have this bridge of empathy, but also just adventure. You know, I mean- Curiosity comes into play, right? Absolutely. a huge play. And when you learn, like, I, I, I know that I've been in huge conversations with, like, my, my missus. Uh, she's got a friend. We were all sitting around, and it's all, like, American expats. And we're all talking about, excuse me, we're all talking about. Uh, well, you're in the entertainment you know, business, so that's like your commercial right now. iPhone needs to pay you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're all, I'm down on 20%. That's the reason that that just happened. So <laughs> we're all talking, you know, what was your first, um, what was your first video game system everybody's saying like oh did you get have nintendo were your parents allowing you sega genesis 
And then it got to the Thai person. They were like, yo, what, what, what video game system did you have? And she was like, rocks. My uh, parents let me play with rocks mm-hmm. when I was a child. And that is very awakening, you know? Sorry, I'm plugging in so that I can recharge, you know? I dig it. Um, but yeah, man. Um, so, so you moved. So you basically, so now you've got yourself. You've, uh, you, you had some opportunities when you were in uh, going over to Thailand, concepts of raising money. You, you went through that of trying sure. to say, look, I'm going to raise some money and I'm going to start putting myself in a position to, I think you were saying in another conversation we were having before that you were raising money to maybe do nonprofit and go that route. So you kind of understood that there's this sense of raising money has some value to it. You didn't know yes. that you were going to be able to use that skill later. So fast forward, you now are in a place where uh, you've realized that the entertainment business with also correlations with people that you have that have you know, obviously been in the entertainment world, as you would talk before, the nightclub world, this started to create this character for yourself. And this is something yeah. I think I, I, I want to kind of transition into for you is that you then are doing a few businesses and then all of a sudden you come up with this idea and it was Full Metal Dojo. Yeah. And we... <laughs> We had a great night. We ended up uh, downtown in uh, in uh, we ended up in downtown in Bangkok, uh, you and I. And I remember we ended up going out having drinks, and I definitely had more drinks than I probably should have. And I'll tell you, for anybody that's traveling, Thailand's probably the safest place at three yeah. o'clock in the morning than anywhere I've ever been in the world. And, yeah, yeah. but I remember at the time we went up to your, your buddy's uh, apartment. I don't think it was Jeffrey. I remember who, it was. who was it? George. George. And we go up there and he was upset. Uh, Cause I couldn't play. Um, I couldn't play a certain guitar song. He was like, well, you can't play guitar. If you can't play. Uh, I can't remember what it was. it was. What was it? Simple man. By Simple man. He's like, you play all this stuff, but you can't play simple man. And he gave me a hard time. And then I left and I got a story about that. Obviously, we do have stories. But ultimately, I think that, that you were you were really cultivating this concept of being something different in the fight market. So let's talk about a little bit of how did Full Metal Dojo, and I'll set the stage, it's a promotional fight business yes. and has correlated around John Nutt. Full, full metal dojo take it a little deeper yeah. that time but but maybe talk with me about how you saw this thing positioning and when your first show was and then what what kind of connected and saying wait a minute there's something a little more here i had done dare fight sports which i still think is like kind of artistically the best one that i've done um the guy yane and the Finns that i was working with were genius with the art um the problem was is the moment that i kind of got removed from that um i recognize that like all of them they're all like you can get kicked out of your company whether you're in food you know whether you're in swanson's or whatever and i didn't want to get kicked out of my company so with, with me being the majority shareholder of full metal dojo and kingdom company i knew that i wanted to revolve it around myself the way that anthony bourdain was revolving himself around kitchen confidential and make it about the american that's throwing the fights over there like like mr han from uh enter the dragon you know and that way i could always be doing a very dirty 80s 90s action movie you know uh, sharing the love of film with anybody that was an american going after that blood sport going after that kickboxer going after that real underground feel and that that would be associated with me so that again if anything ever happened i would still have my brand my personal brand that i would be able to go go and and execute that anyway and leverage off of that so that was what the whole thing was tying it to myself i mean again not to be that guy but when dana white passes away the ufc will continue and it won't be a dana white show if glory kickboxing glory kickboxing went into bankruptcy during this pandemic but they've got new investors but if glory kickboxing loses their their face they will get another face full metal dojo i don't think can get another face and that might be a problem for certain investors, but we will always be able to then get that rustling persona 
because of the way that I've set it up in terms of movies and film, we can always get uh, another guy that is hardcore, loud, rambunctious, and, and he could fill my role. So I really just knew that I didn't want to get ostracized from my business. And how do you do that? Well, you brand yourself and you make yourself so attached to the brand, the, 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 the umbrella brand, that you're able to do those types of things. So I have the gift of gab. I'm able to do travel videos. I'm able to do these types of things. I, I started reaching out. I made connections with Fox Sports Asia, which is now, uh, as of October 2021, off of the TV there because the platforms have changed. And I've been able to adjust and, and maneuver the waters of how people are collecting their content now. And that brings us over to just talking about different platforms and the way that those get used, you know? Uh, pay-per-view isn't a thing in Asia. Who has pay-per-view? The UK, America, Philippines when Manny Pacquiao was on board, right? But I knew that my brand was always going to go towards an American audience, and that's who's mainly collecting what I do and they're collecting it because it's exotic it's not the UFC it's not necessarily the best fighters in the world it's this guy doing these underground fights in in nightclubs in Bangkok wow that's raw I mean Kimbo Slice is the bare knuckle guru right he's the bare knuckle badass rest in peace Kevin but if you think of an underground king in this game I gotta be in the top three you know, there's nobody that's doing it more grimy and more underground than I am. I mean, shit, I'm having people go into, into now with Fight Circus, I'm having two versus one, three versus one, man versus woman, big versus small, people fighting in phone booths, people fighting with their with a leg in the tire. We're about to set up a group Muay Thai thing where four on four go out with paintball guns. Last man standing is what we're referring to it as. So you tap off people with the paintball gun, right? Last two people get to actually fight right then and there on it. So, so ba- basically basically, what you're doing is taking the concept of a sil- the Civil War, and if your gun basically is done shooting, you turn to your bayonet. I plan on making a Netflix series in the future about Killian, Damon Killian from The Running Man, based on my life. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, man, I... You know, we're trying to bring fight circus over to the States, but a lot of a lot of athletic commissions won't allow us to do that. Um, there's Indian casinos. There's different ways of, of getting around it. And I will maneuver around it. But the other thing that's happening is live aid, right? The way that people are collecting. The last couple shows that I've done, I, I, went, I went three for four. When COVID was busting off here in the States, I connected with Dave Feldman, who has BKFD. We produced a feeder organization for him called Bare Knuckle Kingdom, the BKK. And we did that nine in the morning, our time, nine at night, Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. over in L.A., right? So I'm now like, I don't plan on doing another night show in in uh, Thailand until after the pandemic. But who knows when that's going to be? Now, when did so you do I'm- the first, when did you do the first full metal dojo? And where, where was it in Thailand? Two- 2014 in Bangkok. Uh, no, 2014 in Phuket. We did the first two in Phuket. We did the next eight in in Bangkok. We did, then went back to Phuket, put a foothold back in that. And you and used them around like movie, 80s movie themes, right? Was Always. Like Always. So I did like the Warriors theme yeah. where we had the whole audience in, in motorbike vests. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We did Big Trouble in Little China. I remember that. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, we've been, we've been doing all that type of shtick stuff for a while. And again, like I do love, you know, it, it, most people look at Dana White as he's the number one promoter. The number one promoter is Vince McMahon. Ooh. And, and entertainment, entertainment is way bigger than sport. So, and, and again, like WWE is way bigger than the UFC. Sorry to say it, but it is, um, you know, you have, what are the largest sporting events in America? Super Bowl, Super Bowl, 67,000 people in Texas. And then you have SummerSlam and WrestleMania, 77,000 people in Santa Clara. So um, you know, I, I, I made this out on, on Facebook. I was talking about this and everybody thought it was a COVID talk. It wasn't, it was an event coordination talk. 
I just came from uh, McGregor versus Poirier. Mm-hmm. You know, first, first show back for Vegas. Vegas opening up. Conor McGregor, biggest, biggest star in our industry. 23,000 people live in attendance at the T-Mobile. Biggest weekend ever for, for combat sports. Oh, wait a second. Over at the Allegiant Airlines st- Stadium, the new home of the Raiders, Garth Brooks, 64,000 people. And who do you think were drinking more beer? You think the Cowboys were drinking more beer or the uh, fitness fanatics? That is a, oh, that's, yeah. Yeah, well, it depends on how many of the Irish were able to make it. (laughs) Weren't able to make it over, were they? They weren't able to make it over during the pandemic. So So, you started, so you started this and I remember, or, or I, the, the kind of the move basically was that you started running the shows uh, and I remember even sitting in that hotel with you. And I remember you guys were basically putting some things together. And I remember you looking over at uh, your buddy and you were like, well, if I got to fight, I'll fight. And you, were, you weren't sure yes. on who you were going to be able to connect to. And you literally looked at her like, well, if I got to fight, I'll fight. And, I'll, and I thought yeah. that was just so ingenious, but also so willing to engulf yourself into your brand. Yes. Uh, I'm, not a, I'm not afraid of fisticuffs at all. We, we had my boy is here. I got to bring you with me because otherwise I won't be able to plug in. But yes, I've done it on two or three occasions, but only two that like actually mattered where that fell out and nobody else was able to replace. The guy happened to be around my weight class. And I said, yeah, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to take it to him. I'm going to, I'm going I'm to bring it. And obviously people gravitate towards that. And the thing about it is, Similarly to the Jake Paul situation that we have now, you know, people want to see me get my ass kicked or kick ass. Either one, either one. Now on an entertainment level, um, what do you think about that whole transition from, you know, it it seems like it's kind of right up in your alley, but I think those those guys are genius. I think they are absolutely geniuses. Um, I don't like them. I don't like the way that it's become. Um, does it do well for me financially? Yes, it does. You know, I mean, uh, again, like it, it definitely, I hope I just charge. If, if I happen to cut off Jason, that is because my phone just said it's on, t- on the 10%. You know what I mean? Um, so are I guess you starting gotta, to, is it starting to kick in? Yep, exactly. So I got to, fa- I got to, uh, I got to move to upstairs, which I'm not afraid of doing. Just give me a second. Yeah. Jake Paul and the and Logan Paul, those guys are geniuses because again, they know that they have strong followings. They have stronger followings than anybody in the UFC. They come from content provision backgrounds. Joe, I got to keep doing this, buddy. And um, and they they are able to take their crowd, who once again, so their fans want to see them win, and everybody else wants to see them lose. And the internet is a negative place. Just again, Ooh, that's, had a that's that's a great thing to tap into what you just said, and and ultimately, it's it's people want to. Okay, let's tap into that. Would you say that ultimately? I mean, even you started off this entire conversation. You're like, look, I'm an optimistic person, and we even talked off camera. I was like, I just, you know, at the end of the day, I'm living, man. This is, you know, regardless of what it is, I'm trying to put a smile on my face. But ultimately, for for what you just said, is the internet is a very negative place. And when you say that, let me see if I can, if, if this is kind of what you're saying, are you saying that ultimately people, did you get it? Yeah. Cool. So are you saying that ultimately the reason on a marketing standpoint, let's just kind of pull some marketing into some of this. Would you say that ultimately that is because people will pay in the same sense of like a Floyd Mayweather that they're like, dude, I just want to see this guy lose so that let me see if, if this is correct and maybe you can elaborate on it, but so that I can prove what my hypothesis was. Right. That the, that the, bad, guy, that the bad guy should not always win and then eventually go from there. What, what's your thoughts on the way that the, how the, why the internet or maybe even why people are like that? Uh, Scheidenfreude was the term for the Germans, right? People getting kicked in the nuts. It shouldn't make us laugh. That's somebody getting hurt. They're getting kicked in the balls. If you're a man, you know that we're about procreation and you don't want anybody to really get kicked in the balls. But it's the funniest thing for us to see. And we all want that to, to be done. 
negative traction online gets more than positive traction, you know? Um, and the thing is about winning the internet, like what I'm very, very proud that Fight Circus, which is our new, our new brand has done so well on the, on the internet is because people kind of got me. They got me like they got Hezbollah, the little midget from Russia, right? If you go and you looked at the same weekend that we were on uh, uh, Cam Soda, which is technically a pornographic site, um, there was like 6,000 comments on Reddit. One championship went the same weekend, they had like 100. UFC went the same weekend, they had like 2,000 compared to our six. Our six were all like really, really negative towards me and then everybody's stopping that. So it was like, wow, this guy must be doing so much blow. It's ridiculous. And then somebody would chime in being, being like, John Nutt doesn't do blow. Blow does John Nutt. You know what I mean? Like, like, like he doesn't, like, he hasn't done a gram. He does all of the kilos at once. He is cocaine. You know what I mean? And those funny little like meme variations of what you could make from that really got it going. You know, it spiraled so, into a snowball. <laughs> so ultimately, you know, entertainment. I mean, entertainment. And I it think is. what you're saying Everything's is, entertainment. so you stage two different scenarios in this. One is, you know, that entertainment is going to give you in this angle. And I think that like, let, let's identify just right now. We've kind of gone through this whole thing, but what is Full Metal Dojo? And then what is Fight Circus? If, if we break them down, what, are the, what is the goal of them and, and what are they? Well, Full Metal Dojo would be the, uh, my company is actually Kingdom Company LTD. You know what I mean? Um, but I would say that um, Full Metal Dojo was the MMA related stuff that we did. And Fight Circus is where we kind of went to for the entertainment reason that America can't do it so i was watching a lot of what the russians were doing and what they were getting going viral and it dude triller is a fight circus everything triller is doing is a fight circus i'm just the one that's labeling it what it actually is and being honest about it everybody else is the one that's trying legends to league over. right legends league yeah man again you're watching uh roy jones versus versus mike tyson when it's an exhibition match and you can't even gamble on it bro like I'm at least calling it what it is. You I know think. What I, mean? I think just to tap that. Here's what I think. I think that in that fight they signed a contract that Tyson wouldn't uppercut. Sure, sure. <laughs> I mean, sure. I mean, I, I do. Was was Logan Paul carried by Mayweather? I mean, who 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 knows? I know. I know this. Triller made so much money because they're like the TikTok of America. They made so much money that they've decided to diversify. They made a lot of money on that Ben Askren, um, uh, Jake Paul fight, but they made, they probably made more in their margins from having Dipset versus Battle of the Locks in a rap battle than they did with the other stuff. Um, cornhole is big over here. Why is Cornhole big over here? You know, why is axe throwing getting played on ESPN? Mm -hmm. Right? Well, it's I'll tell because you why, because we, everybody wants to know, is that damn thing coming back at you or not? A hundred percent, you know? And I, I think, again, the margins for these other sports, I don't have to pay cornhole players shit, right? But the viewership remains the same, you know? So, like, I'm, I'm going to do an Indian leg wrestling organization, just literally very, very beautiful girls just doing Indian leg, yep. Three, two, one, Indian leg wrestle. It's gonna do. It's gonna do very, very well, because I'm doing it in my own venue, so I get 100% of the food ticket and and uh, merch sales. Doing it for an American audience, so they're gonna want to watch hot women, and I'm gonna have them trash talk via comedians who are gonna write the 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 crap that people are gonna say. So, like, I'm breaking the fourth wall by saying it to you. That's the way it'll be. It'll be very, very good-looking girls. And they want, to, they want to get their OnlyFans out there. They want to get their, their names out there. You know what I mean? So I'm giving them the marketing budget to do that, right? I'm not paying them fuck all, right? 
And, and again, the entertainment value that I'll have will be huge. So we'll do pay-per-views of, of that. And we'll put that on our Patreon account. And, we'll, and it'll be just extra content. That really, really won't cost. I already own all the production. I own the six HD cameras. I own the Black Magic Switcher. You know what I mean? So when we start doing it, it, it won't have me as a production company come out of pocket very much. And during these turbulent times, when everybody's sitting at home, there might be a couple people that are on Fight Network or any of these that are like, yo, I'll pay eight bucks to see that beautiful time model take on that beautiful Russian model. Yeah, that's something that I'm interested in, You're, you know? Mm-hmm. So now my, like, where are my margins at, bro? They're great, you know? Cut your cost, you've cut your gosh, you've owned the production, you've owned the equipment. And then when you show up, you're, you're banking on the highest, the, the two highest things. One is negativity of, of seeing somebody get ripped off, whatever it is. And then yep. also utilizing uh, major entertainment and, and shock factor. I mean, just shock factor. Shock factor. Uh, it, that was, um, uh, what was it? Joe Rogan's, uh, what did he do? What was his show before? <laughs> oh, yeah, Fear Factor. Fear Factor. I mean, that was really it until they got to the point where yep. they couldn't, you know, eat sperm from a bowl or something like that. Exactly. Like the turning point, I think. And who doesn't want to see bull sperm being eaten? There's so many people that can't turn it (laughs) off, right? It just can't turn it off. The car crash concept. So Exactly. And you know what? I I don't know if you've thought about doing this one, but I think, I mean, who knows where it is, but what about just kicks only? Have you thought about just doing? We already did it. Oh, you did it. Then I missed it. We call call it human cockfight. just like only kicking contests yep yo man that the other one that you'll love is we we have new generational siamese twins kickboxing where we attach two dudes via st- cellophane so i attach two guys to each other around their core right and then we have a shirt that we put over them it has two head holes but only two arm holes so one guy has his left and one guy has his right and they're basically in a three-legged competition right the middle leg is is connected against another two dudes we've done it multiple times and it, it's just brilliant you know i'm you know i i got bob Sapp working with me now mm-hmm. so we got a lot of the japanese viewing audience very much into it a lot of the koreans and again like it's these freak shows that i'm not trying to say aren't freak shows and i think that that um that clarity that authenticity people enjoy it and they're gravitating towards it. So I think it really will, like at, at first, you know, when we were like talking to Boss Root and people like that, they were like, it'll never exist. It will, it, it, it's dangerous. It's all that. It's a very controlled controlled place. So it's not. Um, I understand. Well, they're doing, I mean, you look at, well, interesting enough, you look at Boss Root and you look at um, George St. Pierre and they're doing combat karate. In a green screen studio. Mm-hmm. And so that they can go anywhere in the world, right? They're doing so let's it from, get, let's they're doing it from Anchor Watch. Yeah, really so I remember when the pandemic hit, you know, you, you, we got on the phone and we had chatted for a little bit. But one of the things you talked about was <clears throat> putting yourself more on the streaming sites than transitioning into going live events. What was, what was that for you? What, made, what had you in your mind just go, you know what, this is what my change is going to be? And then also how difficult was it? working for Fox Sports Asia, anybody that was on linear two years ago, it's fired. They put all their money towards digital. So if you have a, a large company like that, that are once again, trying to change their fan base, you know, True Visions in Thailand has been screwed by Netflix. It's not screwed. Just more people want to subscribe to Netflix because it has more of what they want to watch than what's on Fox. So um, I just saw the writing on the wall and I knew that these different places and these different pay-per-view platforms and these different outlets, OnlyFans being a one, fan time being another, Patreon, which we are on, GoFundMe being one for charitable organizations. I see that those were gonna be the ones that more digitally people, more digital online people and phone watchers and tablet watchers rather than screen watchers were, it was gonna become a big thing for them, you know? So we just saw the writing on the wall and we went, we went with it. And uh, I mean, it, it, and it, it has obviously worked out. Um, 
I'm going to do another fun one for you. This is news for you. Uh, I'm hoping in this November, I don't know if it'll actually kick off on the same date, but we're going to do the original fighting championship. That's what it's called. OFC, the original fighting championship. What is it? Eight man tournaments. No holds barred. Yeah, it's the original rule set from the original. I actually plan on being shooting this in Thailand, in Phuket. Now, are you saying eight-man tournaments? Now, you're not saying all at once. You're saying that basically it's kind of all uh, at once. All at once. How big is the arena? I mean, how big is the how big is the? Uh, no, 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 not all at once. But again, the same same rule set. I actually plan on shooting it. They in, did that. I think that that was. Um, and you'll know the you'll know the movie. It was basically the movie that made every young kid. It was called No Retreat, No Surrender, the original yeah. movie of Jean Claude Van Damme, yep. and. Yeah. Uh, that was a, I think a six man kickboxing tournament and yep. the setting of that movie. And so what you're saying is that you're going to try and bring back the sense of, is it all in one day? Basically they fight and the next day. All fights. in one night, all one night tournament. So three rounds for the, for the winners, right? They have to fight three times in one night, no gloves, $50,000 check okay. at the end. And I actually, by the way, even further. I plan on being in the in the ring in Phuket on November 13th, shooting it for a US time zone of, of a Friday night, November 12th. And I plan on being in there going, ladies and gentlemen, live from Boulder, Colorado, it's 1993. <laughs> yep, that's happening. This is Boyce Casey, a Brazilian. Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. This guy is Kenny Clover. Everybody's going to be like, oh, snap. He just ripped off Ken Shamrock. No, I didn't. That's my own uh, intellectual property. Mm. His name is Ken Clover, not Ken Shamrock. Mm. I Bob think a lot Sapp of your stuff, uh, Brown. would you say that a lot of stuff, uh, maybe in your youth as just becoming who you are, were you influenced from guys like Weird Al Yankovic? Or... Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I actually have a children's book that I'm coming out with uh the full metal toddler and it's called it, the full metal toddler children's poetry for parents that can rock that's that's the name of the book you want one of the poems ah shoot start to smile this is fun about to get it done a beaver build everyone plans understood we're looking good we're off to bite some wood tell the beaver builders to come the river it looks wide open the temperature feels just right my buck teeth bite my claws clench tight until the river it stands we're off to build a beaver dam inspired by anybody uh, 100%. what was that yeah you know you know who it is but i but again you're 17 points off on a on a graphic it's your own 17 notes off on a song it's your own if i make it successful enough to the point where james hetfield comes after me oh i've already sold enough books i'll give metallica half yeah right and i think that a lot of the stuff that how about how about this one for you jump red cram you don't have to stay in the black lines you're my favorite color you can paint stop signs or santa claus Red crayons. And, and, you know if, I mean? if, and, and if anybody knows anything about, you know, tonality and music and things like that, it's like, you're just putting the same three chords together and just basically adding them up. And yeah. Forklifts, we lift a lot. You can check the stats. Forklifts, we lift a lot. You can do the math, CG&E. Over and over. And you basically, you can NFT some of this stuff. Oh, of course, man. You know, so I just got diarrhea. I couldn't make it to the toilet bowl. Well, I had a rumbling in my tummy. And I guess I couldn't hold. (laughs) I think think one thing that you are showing ultimately is that there's there is a there's an audience for off the record stuff and i think that what you have also displayed is that 
it's in correlation of what the biggest entertainment is right now. And in business, kind of correlating this back into business is that you're basically going to the consumer with abstract art and saying, let's put ourselves in, in, in the spot of abstract art in a structure that you can now digest. To go a, to go a step further, generally people in niche of niche audiences have disposable incomes. Oh, say that again. Niche to niche. Generally, pe people who like niche of niche, like audience viewerships, have disposable incomes. So again, if you're going after a mass market, like I said it to you off camera, but you could get 55 million people. Uh, you could feed off of patriotism and xenophobia and get 55 million people to watch your product by putting Burmese people on a card, on a fight card, right? But those Burmese people don't have money for running water or power. I'd rather get 49,000 hardcore fans of, of my sneakers who all are going to pay 50 bucks to buy my sneakers. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I make a weird sneaker. I joke on the Yeezys. I joke on Air Jordans. You know what I mean? And those people that are sneaker freaks out there, if I've made it unique enough, those people have disposable incomes. Mm -hmm. So like majority of the people that like really, really like to fight circus. If you're a guy that's sitting in front of your screen, who's willing to go out and find who's fighting this weekend in a three versus one activity, those people generally have disposable incomes. And it's those disposable incomes that are people that pay for pay-per-views, people that buy random weird t-shirts from Patreon accounts people that can travel to Thailand to go take an odd trip every now and again. And it's those people that you really kind of want to go after. You either have big markets where you're selling things for a dollar, right? Mass markets, which are a lot of the times controlled. You know what I mean? If I went into the toilet paper industry, when toilet paper was off the shelves at the beginning of the pandemic, I'm pretty sure Huggies, whoever else was, is in that market, they would have kicked me off the shelf. I'm not getting it at Target. Yeah. Right. But the UFC, who dominates the fight industry, really can't do two versus one right now. If they did, they'd be changing their whole audience and their whole marketplace. Well, and I think that's why you're seeing Dana White. <clears throat> it's, it's funny because you've noticed in a few different areas. One is he made fun of the concept of, number one, if you watch his entire stitch as he's gone along, you can, I can, well, I, I can see it. The very first one, we're going to have female fighters. I don't believe in female fighters. I'm not going to have them. Boom, female fighters. I'm not going to let one of my MMA fighters box and be able to do it. Boom, here it is. He let him do it. And then the next one that happened was he said, I'm not going to even stand up for allowing. I don't want Mike Tyson to fight. And then all of a sudden, these, Mike Tyson looked at him. He's like, I've got something to tell you. You know, I, I, I feel healthy enough to fight. And then Dana White literally looked at him and go, how am I going to be someone that's going to tell you not to fight? I mean, literally, Correct. that was like legit. And then the last one Correct. is he started making fun of the whole Jake Paul. These guys are going to get knocked out. He's getting starched. He's getting pulled away. And there was just an interview where he goes, look, I don't hate the kid. I just think that, you know, he's going to go through it. So, I mean, I, do you think that's ultimately, and I think that laying this through is, is this, you have to protect your brand as well. And he's fighting for yep. his core stake in what he does. And until the numbers change, then his mentality doesn't change. People only have so much disposable income, so they got to spend those pay-per-view dollars in certain ways. So he doesn't want them all spending it on the Vince McMahon package or the aid. I mean, look at what AEW is doing to Vince McMahon. Does, does he own it? I don't know. But AEW, if you follow wrestling, is on the come up. They've taken like half of the WWE roster over the last year. And I mean... It's like the old TNT versus USA battle. It's like the old WWE versus the NWO versus the WCW ba uh, battle that's going on. And it's pretty fun for the fans to watch. But those people, you know, you get pissed off as a fan when you have to pay for ESPN Plus and then you have to pay for the pay-per-view and then you have to pay for the other pay-per-view. And that's why streamers are, are doing what they're doing and going so illegally. One of the things that I've found that has been very beneficial to us is using other marketing platforms that have large marketing, allowing them to have our stuff for, a, for an exorbitant price and then putting mine for a price down on another platform. Are you with me? Because then, then you, basically using other people's audience. 
Yeah, of course. If you like AEW and what they're doing, you'll love what Fight Circus is doing. You know what I mean? Basically tapping. And and a lot of times in Morgan, they talk a lot about tapping into someone else's river. And you just basically your canoe um, and basically basically going there. Yep. Hey, Jason, I apologize, but I'm getting the yell at. I just just wanted to tell you, you know, I was literally coming in. I was like, you know what, man? This has been an incredible opportunity. Um, you know, John Nutt, you and I could do this for hours, obviously. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, I do appreciate you coming on the Moved Entrepreneur Evolved podcast. Where could people find John Nutt and Full Metal Dojo? Just Google FullMetalDojo.com, baby. FullMetalDojo.com. FightCircus.com will lead you to that Cam Soda, but FightCircus.com is also there. Um, yeah, Full Metal Dojo. It's where it's at, baby. All right. This closes out the Entrepreneur Evolve podcast. Thanks, John Nutt. If you like this episode, make sure you smash the like button and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just like Nike is to athletes, Moved is to entrepreneurs.